Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready to Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. This week, I'm talking to a man who has crammed so much into his career so far. From side-splitting comedy to gut-wrenching drama, Pat Short has done it all. Uh, We were on the late late that night and uh, as they say, the rest is history. It just took off. He was mad about us. He came to see us. And when he talked about you on the radio or the television, not just the television, but his radio show was equally as massive. You just sold out everything for the next few months. Because he didn't talk about something unless he really liked no, it or believed right. in it. Yeah, yeah, he didn't actually. And he used to go to the theatre a lot. Mm. And when he didn't like something, he wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. And when he liked something, he would rave about it. He's married to Caroline and they have three kids. His latest film, Dark Lies the Island, has just left cinemas across the country and his live show, Hey, is currently touring. In this conversation, we talk about many topics. His love of music, his fascinating family history, the magic of Dumbelievables, his memories of Gay Byrne and how a small Irish film showcased his superb talent for dramatic roles as well as comedy. I've been a fan of Pat's work since I was a teenager, so I was absolutely chuffed when he took time out of his busy schedule to have a chat. Pat, thanks a million for oh, calling in. Delighted. Lovely to meet you again, Sheila. Great yeah. to be up in Dublin. It's funny. I, I, I think the last time I saw you, or maybe I've seen you since, but my memory of you anyway yeah. was... At a wedding we were both at oh, in gosh, Killarney. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was a man. I was gigging that night and I came from uh, Cork or somewhere. Yeah. And it was down in Killarney. So I, I arrived late and you were all in great form. We were in <laughs> flying form that night. But when you came in, it made it all the better. And there was a great old sing song. That's right. And, yeah, 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 it was yeah, brilliant. It was mighty crack. Yeah, yeah. So when I think of you, I think of so many things since I'm obviously thinking, first mm. and foremost, probably comedy, yeah. acting. And then obviously music is kind yeah. of interwoven. Into, into a lot of what you do, particularly, yeah. I suppose, into your comedy. Well, I started off as a musician, see, uh, more so than comedy. And, yeah. and uh, as a young, my dad is a great fiddle player. He's, the arthritis has got the better of him now over the years. So he doesn't play it anymore. He plays the whistle, actually. He's a really good whistle player now. But I learned traditional music at the start when I was a kid. And the tin whistle and the flute uh, and the concert flute I played. And then moved on to the saxophone and played a lot of jazz when I was young. For, and then when I went to Limerick, I really can't. I went to art college in Limerick, but I really wanted to be a jazz musician. <laughs> I was going for the top, yeah. <laughs> where all the money is, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I really wanted to play jazz and music. And I, I ended up meeting John Kenny when I was in Limerick. And that's how uh, I came about working with John 
uh, playing sax because John's a great singer and musician as well and he with a band called Gimmick many many years but he was he was a comedian at the time so I ended up doing comedy and crack with John and hence Dumbelievers and hence comedy yeah. so music was kind of left to one side but I, in the last couple of years I still started getting back into it you know which is great yeah um, what age are you when yourself and John starts to work together oh 18, 18 yeah. Oh, yeah yeah I just, I just went to Limerick School of Art and Design and I met him while I was there so after I started gigging with him on Wednesday nights in Costello's in Limerick where he was doing a uh, residency and I started jumping up playing saxophone. Nothing was ever straightforward. He ended up uh, taking out saxophone and uh, about two weeks later running around with my underpants. <laughs> <laughs> playing saxophone. We were doing a seaside sketch. Uh, you know, so it just went bizarre. And I, I, I was very shy, I have to say, at the start, you know. It didn't take to it oh, easy. come on. Take no, it, I'm seriously. Dripping off. You're clearly not shy. Like, come on. <laughs> Well, like, you know, it sounds like it, but actually it was, but yeah. he's a very persuasive man. <laughs> it's so, do you know, when I think of you, I think, God, Pat is a man with no inhibitions, because when you think of acting roles you've done, just stuff you've done, you're very comfortable in who you are, well, I, I physically am. on every level. Yeah, I am, I suppose. But also, I think there's a when you play a character, no matter whether it's a, a comedy character on stage or whether it's in a film, you're playing a role, it's not you. Okay, and that's the one thing you you develop as an actor. And now my daughter's is acting at the moment, and I funny, it's it's gas. We'll be chatting about it a bit, you know, about being a character, you know, and things you have to do as an actress. But it's not you, and you you get that mindset into it, so you can then can virtually do anything, which is what you should be able to do as an actor and actress. Yes, like you're known for for so much in terms mm. of obviously your stage work. Comedy, unbelievables, amazing acting roles, and of course, I suppose the biggest game changer for you was Garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say that there's no doubt about it. It was a great movie, um, almost like they called the perfect storm in a cinema kind of sense. It was great writing, great director Lenny Abramson, Marco Halloran wrote it. Um, amazing writing. He's a f- amazing writer. Great cast, everybody, uh, young Conor Ryan on it as well. And then DOP, amazing camera work and sound. You know, and everything just worked. It was a very, I remember when it was filming, it was a very tight crew. And uh, it was just a joy to work on because it was almost like working on a student film. Everyone was excited and passionate. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. people can, when professional people can be a bit, somebody a bit tired and, you know, it's just a job. This, I remember Garage was like that. It was a small crew and, and Lenny being the, the, the main man then directing was just giving a lot of energy to every, everybody involved in it. And it, it. But it was a small shoot. It was only a couple of weeks and, and it was over and, uh, you know, you didn't think much more about it. But it started to filter through that it was shaping up to be really good. And then mm-hmm. I remember doing ADR work with Lenny, which is uh, additional dialogue recording. You go after the film is shot and you have to clean up some dialogue that might have been a sound effect over there's, you know, a tractor passing or something like that and you'd mm. have to do the lines again. And he said to me, look, it looks like we're, we're, we've been picked for Cannes. And uh, it was like, Jesus. It was like, this is a small little Irish film. And then suddenly, like, that was none. He said, look, we haven't got absolute confirmation yet, but there's a lot of buzz about it in Cannes. In Cannes there's like the big the, 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 there's three categories you know you can't be in all of them you can only be in one and I think the director's fortnight was the one that Lenny really liked it's big big for directors the other was the Palme d'Or and, and they wanted it as well but I think we went with the other one I think that that was the story somebody might correct me um, so that was very 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 exciting and, yeah. and uh, of course when we were out in Cannes then it was it was the talk of the festival. Did you have any idea when you were filming it that it was going to make its mark in this way and have such a positive uh, impact on your own career in terms of people seeing you as this guy is not just brilliant crack on stage and can hold an audience and make you laugh until you're crying um, but he can also make you f- feel like your heart's being ripped out of your chest. Yeah, well, no, that's what I'm saying. It was, it was like a, it was like a short, it was like a, a small, so you'd no small idea. crew and uh, Irish film, and yeah. you know, it absolutely not. No, and I don't. I, look, I, 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 I mean. Uh, d- when I when I first wrote the breakfast roll, I never thought that was going no. to be one of the biggest number one singles in Ireland and 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 have a huge impact on my career as well in of another way. You know, so you you don't you know when you do these things, you just do them and you do them at the best and you you know you you put the quality into them. But it's after that's what the audience think of. Them. That's what happened with with Garage as well. You know, are you good at taking compliments? 
Uh, no. <laughs> no. I just kind of got a feel of that right there. It was like you straight away got really uncomfortable by me saying anything positive. It's like, oh no, I'll move on from this now. I don't need to hear that. No, but honestly, I mean, I think, uh, and what I read about, you know, when you when you approached the character of Josie, and I'm from rural Ireland, and I yeah. think, I, I don't think you need to necessarily be from rural Ireland no, to, to really no, appreciate no, it. I think not. anyone will. But I think particularly... We we know, we know we know Josie's. You know what yeah. I mean. In one way or another. Yeah. In one way or another, maybe it expands your compassion and makes you a bit more understanding of the men and women out there that might feel a bit more isolated or a bit like you know what, kindness will go a long way. Yeah. And it kind of makes you kind of reflect, I think, on your own life. But is it true that you kind of pulled away a bit from other cast members? Well, absolutely. Yeah, it was something I was. Uh very keen on doing because it, it was quite demanding to play that role in the sense of physically and, and just mentally to stay in stay in that zone where he is the whole time you know what I mean so um, the one thing that happens a lot in film sets is people there's what's called a turnaround period uh, it happens in TV and film as you probably know it's where you, you we shoot single camera so the camera's pointing a direction shooting you and then it's going to turn around to shoot me and when the camera turns around to shoot me well all the lights have to change everything has to move so there could be an hour between the shots and if you what happens then is people have coffee and start chatting and joking and laughing and you're completely out of your character and then you turn around and say right we're ready to shoot again and you've got to go Jesus where was I mm. and that can be uh, that then trying to find that because then the, it has to cut you see and match you yeah, know what I mean yeah. uh, in real time so in order to avoid any of that, I did kind of stay away from gathering at the coffee machine or the, the cooler, water cooler or whatever you want to call it and get into those conversations. And Lenny was very good to me in that sense. He directed people away from me to leave me alone. Do you know what I mean? And I'd walk away then and start working on the script and the lines before I got into, uh, before we came back shooting again. But thankfully, the nature of uh, Garage and the lighting was very minimal. Um, uh, he used a lot of natural light and the turnaround time was very quick yeah. and the whole thing happened so quick So, and that was what was great about the crew working on the lighting guys sound guys everybody camera they turned it around quick and we got into the next scene so it was really a very rare film to work on that you were actually everyone was just intensely working on what was being shot yeah. and giving it the respect and I think that showed in the end you know mm. What was the difference to your career afterwards when it was released and you won all the awards that you guys won? Uh, what did it mean for you in terms of directors, producers taking note? Yeah, I, I suppose I got a lot of interest from from America and from England in particular. Um, I got to meet really interesting directors who wanted to meet me. Um, I didn't get to work with them all, but I, I they got, you know, so, some of the roles weren't right for me and one thing or another and I wasn't available to do a lot of stuff. But it did put me on the map in the UK. You know, I ended up at, at, at dinners with Mike Lee and and um, uh, Fastbender and all these guys and, and uh, the tall lady, she, she's uh, the Snow Queen, what's her name? Um, Tilda Swindon and, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, you know, yeah. I ended up meeting the, all these people in London and being at dinners and, and they all knew Garage. They're all fans yeah, of any, okay. which was fantastic. Yeah. And they all, uh, like, I think Mike Lee said it was one of his favourite films of all time. And wow. he, ju he just loved everything about the way Lenny approached the film and everything. I mean, he had a big chat with me one night about it. So it was kind of cool that you were kind of, you know, um, mixing with all these people and, and stuff. And it's funny because I, like, I would be very well known in Ireland, Dunbelievables and comedy. And yet when I went abroad, it was all film. Yeah. And people looked at me as an actor uh, as opposed to a comedian, which was, I mean, you know, you expect initially people to come up and go, oh, that's right. And all this kind of, you know, like, <laughs> of course, none of that. You know, I, I end up out in Monte Carlo and all these different places around the world uh, at film festivals and in um, God and Jordan and also all over the world, you know, so it was mm. great. It was mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sitting here as 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 a fan of yours. I know you're probably going, please, yeah, yeah. would you stop now again? But like I, I would have obviously seen the the Unbelievables yeah. live and like trying to keep it together because you're laughing so hard that honestly you're not just worried of tears coming out. You know what I mean? And you're kind of sitting there going, this is just absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And it was funny, just preparing for our chat today, I had to just type into YouTube and watch yeah, a few yeah. clips again. Yeah. And one of my favourites, one of my favourites is the one where you come in as a young lad Johnny into the oh, shop. Into the shop, yeah. Mr. Larkin. Ah, stop. I did a show, I did a tour in Australia and uh, we were down in Melbourne, Sydney, no, it was down in Sydney, I think it was, and this big theatre and they had a small foyer and in the foyer there was a, uh, well, a merchandise.
Mary's stall, you know, and there's yeah. an Australian uh, girl working the stall. She was selling the T-shirts and the hats and all that kind of stuff. And the promoters came back to me and said, you got to go down. <laughs> See, there's, there's about 300 Irish standing around the stall and there was one fella there going, how much is one of them and one of them? <laughs> Brilliant. And the more he was doing it, the Irish were creasing themselves, laughing, because they knew the sketch, course, but the poor yeah, girl yeah, yeah. didn't know it. So awesome. she was going, that'll be $12 and $22. <laughs> <laughs> and if you gave me two of them and one of them, and one... <laughs> oh, the poor it. girl, but she had no idea, obviously, of the sketch and the character, you know, but everybody there, just, they were just standing on top of each other, roar laughing. This, yeah. You know, so it's funny. It's, it was, I, yeah, it's a great sketch, great, great character, you know. Uh, by the time we made those videos, they were that video was in the early like that was kind of like uh, back in those days we made videos like with the old school way of making a video and you sold in the video shop. Nowadays, I suppose you'd be shooting it with a phone and putting it up online. You know, so yeah, you, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was. It was 93, maybe 94, somewhere around there. Yeah, I and mean, when you guys toured the world, as you said there, yeah. Australia, you were everywhere. We were everywhere, all over America. We we um, we we went out and did some shows in New York. We were actually nearly going to move to America. We got our green cards, the two of us, and, and uh, our wives were coming out with us. Because um, we, we were doing theatres in New York and we couldn't get a theatre in Ireland to do us. And then uh, Frank McCourt was very good to us, and Maliki McCourt, and they set us up with the National History, te- natural history theaters of America. So we toured out into the Midwest and all around America there um, on the back. Because they had done a show called A Couple of Blackguards, which was basically a precursor to Angela's Ashes. Okay. And it was the play version. The play came first, and then the book Angela's Ashes came after it. So they used to. They were involved in the Irish Arts Centre in New York where we were, Western 51st Street, a lot of Irish people, a lot of Irish artists would know that venue because it's very good. I still go out and play it. It's it's uh, it's just closed down, actually, because they're building this much bigger theatre now, which should be open next year. Um, but they're they're great out there to bring out Irish artists and give them a platform in Manhattan. And they did that with the Unbelievables, and that's where we met Jim Sheridan. Was Jim Sheridan used to run it at one time, as did the McCourts were involved in it. And so was, uh, from Limerick, um, Oh my God! And um, Richard Harris was involved oh, wow. as well. Yeah. So there was yeah a lot of like really well recognised Irish mm. artists were involved in running this small little theatre and promoting Irish art and, and theatre and music. And we they brought us out and we kind of shot off around the states after that. Yeah, I want to talk about the early days though because yeah. I know that Gay Byrne, the Late Late Show, certainly played its part in terms of giving Absolutely. you guys the boost that you well deserved. Yeah, he was huge for us. I mean, that, actually, we'd been doing New York and America and we'd been going really well. And we were moving up into a bigger theatre. But we got the opportunity to come back and play Andrews Lane, which uh, was the first theatre we got our hands on in Ireland. And we'd been... The nature of what we were doing, we were trying to get more theatrical. Our work was more theatrical than pubs. And there was no comedy circuit. There was no stand-up circuit. And so all you could do was nightclubs and uh, supper dinners and all this kind of stuff. It was just soul-destroying uh, trying to do comedy and characters. And, you know, you can imagine what it was yeah, like. Yeah, people you know. are chatting and eating and yeah, not engaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not engaged. Yeah. So we thought there was much, so much more we could do uh, with the characters if we could get into a theatre and just have uh, the the... the people's respect and not so much respect but the their attention yeah, just just sure. attention instead of a lump of chicken yeah. <laughs> and a few peas so we got the opportunity to understand we reckon if we could get get on there and also to do the late late um, yeah. so we flew in from new york and um we had the late late one on the friday before and then we were opening the monday in andrews lane and it was the worst week in theater because in dublin because it was straight after the theater festival which was three weeks of theater everyone's exhausted from theater so nobody's going to go out uh, so that's how we were able to rent it because there was no theaters opening at the time so we got we took a chance with it and uh, we had a very very nice businessman in dublin morris cone very good friend of ours who said he'd underwrite the theater if everything went tits up on us so it was amazing he was a big big supporter and Gerald Davis uh, uh, he's passed since uh, the artist and he was a great supporter as well so there was a kind of group of people that really wanted it to work for us and uh, Jim Mulvaney managed to get us on the guy from NACE managed to get us on the late late and Gayborn we were on the late late that night and uh, as they say the rest is history it just took off he was mad about us he came to see us and when he talked about you on the radio or the television not just the television but his radio show was equally as massive you just sold out everything for the next few months because he didn't talk about something unless he really liked it no you're right yeah Yeah. he didn't actually and he used to go to the theatre a lot Mm. and when he didn't like something he wouldn't talk about it Yeah, and when he liked something he would 
rave about it. Yeah. And he raved about us and the characters and everything. And then he used to have us on all the time, you know. Um, uh, I remember we were doing a couple of years, like we'd known him a bit at this stage and he's always, he was, you know, he's like a fatherly figure as well. Okay? When he when you'd be in with him, he'd always give you advice, you know, um, that maybe, you know, like for example, and one thing he used to always go on to us about what, after a while was, you know, don't, don't, be doing everything, guys. You know, don't be working. Don't be taking. You're in the freelance world, as you know, Sheila. As well, you're inclined to not to say no to a mm. gig because yeah. you don't know. And then when you're someone like him, who was like a national icon, he was still not saying no. And suddenly he's working every day of the week. Yeah, Rose Trelees. He was on the radio f- five days of the week. He was a late late show, and then he'd be doing other things and all sorts of things. So he said, "Look, the work will always be there." Don't take Everton. He said he would like to spend more time at home with his kids and all that and everything else. But he didn't, and he took the work as as, as it came in and so on and so forth. So he kind of passed that uh, knowledge on to, which was great advice, you know. Yeah, did it stick with you? Uh, it did actually. Yeah, and I do to this day. I do take Christmas off and certain times of the year off. I just book it and just even though there's loads of work around, I just say you know you gotta have quality of life as well. Absolutely. And then he used to, you know, he he really used to used to kind of warm to us and he was mad about us. And then there was a time when we would come up to Christmas, we were the the two guards that sketched we did oh, on the late list. Crime busters. He, and he wanted that on. He'd seen the video. He was mad to have it on. But we were working with Druid and Galway at the time yeah. doing the Lonesome West, and we were both two Pochine heads mm. is Colleen and Valiant from the play and mm. um, we had unshaven I had my hair bleached blonde and we looked like shite <laughs> we really did look like shite so we landed into the studio we didn't want to do it because we thought guards don't have beards we're going to look really strange no, but you can have he, a tash but that's he, about it yeah and he kept pushing he said no do the sketch do the sketch so we said okay we'll do the sketch and uh, when we were being in the dress room when he came down to see us and Maura was the his, his right hand woman at the time yeah she, I remember she said it to us afterwards. He never does this. He never goes into the dressing room before the show. He'd meet you after, but never before. Okay, the right. show. So he came down to us. He made a point of he wanted to see us before the show. he'd seen us coming into the studios, and he came down to us. Lads, look after yourselves. You're working too hard. You look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> and we did, but it was intentional. <laughs> He, he thought we were walked off the bone that we yeah. couldn't even shave and mind ourselves. <laughs> but we were trying that to, says so much about so, him. Yeah, but he was observant yeah. and he was watching. He saw us. He thought, Joe, those lads look awful. And he yeah, went down yeah, to yeah. and said, Lads, will you pl- just mind yourselves, will you? Jesus, yeah. You know, you're working very hard and you look at you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have the heart to tell him, Come here again now? Well, we kind of, we both looked at each other when he left and we were laughing away saying, Oh, Jesus, yeah, we should probably say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he was a gent. You know, I love he was hearing these stories, gent. and yeah. I think people love hearing them as well because yeah. obviously, you know, it's so recent as passing. And that's right. Yeah, uh, you know, when you when you saw the blanket coverage the next day in all of the papers and yeah. the respect that he has been given, which is so richly deserved, and then you're hearing all of these stories oh, about the man he was. I'd met him a handful of times, yeah. and I'd interviewed him, and I always, I always like tried to. <laughs> hide my awe actually um, and he was always so warm and, and yeah. I think he must have picked up on on people like me and yeah, my, yeah, my nervous yeah. tension and and always tried to just make you feel relaxed and yeah. go you know let it go your grant yeah, yeah. and I, I don't get starstruck often I know but you there was something, about, something gay about gay yeah. that, there was something about him like that God factor I mean I don't make sound like I mean I used to do on my own like uh, when I was doing Vicar Street I did uh, when I was started out my own doing God I was doing about 14 weeks in Vicar Street every night and it was a Monday night was the night out for Jerry Ryan Gay Byrne and Harry Crosby the three would go for dinner and they always popped into Vicar Street after the dinner and we'd sit in the dressing room having a few drinks after I came off stage and I remember yeah. kind of I get into knock on the door saying, Gay and Jerry Ryan and Harry are going to pop in. Are you, just, are you okay for that? And I said, Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was thinking, Jesus Christ, the, the biggest radio guys in the yeah, country course. coming backstage. Like, Jesus, I, I, I was in awe of. And they were just fans of yours. Yeah, yeah. You and, and that was a kind of. And they used to come in the odd Monday night then after. And I'd get a, a call saying that they were popping down. They'd be down after the show. We'd have a few drinks in the dressing room afterwards. And it was great, you know, it was, but it was. I, I nearly have to pinch myself that these guys were making the effort to come down and see me, you know, which was nice. Yeah. But, but I, yeah, but sure, look, I'd worked with them all for a good few years. You forget about that a good bit, you know. Yeah, that's what I love hearing about him, which was that he was just a, a fan of of music and of, of, of I suppose, talent. And, yeah. uh, you know, he... Well, he loved the, the whole world of entertainment. Do yeah. you know what I mean? That's yeah. the other side. And I thought it was kind of cool, actually, that from being an entertainer myself when he died, the recognition he got, 
like as a national icon, which he was, and he wasn't a politician, and he wasn't anything. Like, he was an That's entertainer. Right. He was a yeah. he was an entertainer and a broadcaster, and he was just one of us. And he he very much was that was his personality as well, you know. Yeah, big time, big time. Um, I'd love to talk to you about the TV show. I think it was last year you did it. Who do you think you are? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was amazing. It's a series I love anyway. I'm a big yeah. fan. In case anyone hasn't seen it, it's a show where well-known people trace their family roots. Yours was fascinating. It was fascinating. I was I was taken aback. Did by you have it. any it idea? None whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of interesting stories on it. Uh, two two real interesting. My 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 granduncle Brendan Brendan Short, on my dad's side, who had spent time in uh, he we like we always thought he worked in a phone exchange in London, and actually he was involved in building radars and all sorts of things like that over there. And his whole thing, like he invented a a thing that doubled the the power of a valve um, back in 1913 or 14 or even earlier. Right. And to put it into context, I was talking to my brother who's an engineer. I was saying, Peter, did you realise Brendan? He said, yeah, I knew Brendan. It was in the family he'd invented something uh, like this. And it, it and it's not even that far back when you think about it. Yeah, and this you was know. a big part of technology wow. that, well, that helped with radar yeah. and stuff like that. That yeah. it, it expanded the range or something like that. Someone more technically explained it. But to give you the label, it kind of doubled the, the, the range of these things to make radar and stuff like that happen. And to put it into context, I said, Peter, he, he, uh, he invented it when he was 16 and he never went to secondary school. He only did primary school. And this piece of equipment that he invented, wow. there was no electricity in the cottage he lived in. So you couldn't even plug it in. <laughs> It's bizarre. I'm trying to even get the my guy, head around that. Well, Pat, he, yeah. He, yeah, this is the thing. So he was a tech genius. If he was around nowadays, he would be one of the IT. Of course, gurus he would. That so you think about it. His education finished early enough. Yeah. So he used to go to the library in Burr and do all these looking at, you know, looking up stuff. And so he ended up then going to the army and the Irish Army and he was in the Signal Corps and all that and then he moved to London and what we thought he worked in it was a phone exchange but it wasn't it was a secret place that uh, only came out in 1996 that this place existed um, during the war I was hit with a V-bomb and I think like 60 people died or 30, 40, 56 people died and 200 were injured and it was never in the news and uh, they never allowed it to, to leak out because they didn't want the Germans to know that this place existed because yeah. they then would target it mm. because it was it was the technology and the things they used to make the radio stuff for airplanes all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. so it was a high, top secret high place and we only found that out on that program and then the other story was my mother's site which was it was for anyone who hasn't seen it it, it was about uh, uh, my how, how, I'll try and explain how it all came about my grandmother's name is Bradshaw uh, on that side of the family, right? My mother's side, my mother's mother, Bradshaw. So they were looking through Bradshaw uh, as a name, searching to see was there any story, history. And they came across a Bradshaw in Kappa White, County Tipperary, who had been murdered. And it was a very famous case. And I asked the producer, I said, when did you find out my family were connected? He says, well, I got mm. a phone call from the genealogist people who were, who were researching in London and said, look, we found this Bradshaw but unfortunately, he's no relation to Pat's family. And she went, your heart sunk because they explained it. But we think the fellow that killed him <laughs> was his granduncle. <laughs> so mental. So it was kind of mental. Uh, and the name was was Alice. But can you explain the story behind us? Because, so what happened yeah. was, uh, what happened was this guy was a landlord and he was also a magistrate um, and in the big house. And he had uh, two families renting land off him. One of them was this family called the Alice's and the other family was Luby's. Uh, so the Luby's had 80%, let's say, and the Alice's, my family relations, would have been 20%. So it's, it was, it, like, there's so many strands of the story, it was fairly mad. Um, bottom line was this guy had had his way with a lot of younger girls in the area. Um, so he's not a good guy? No, not a good guy at all. Yeah. And, and uh, the, my great-grand-aunt, was one of the poor girls that was uh, anyway by him and she had to leave the country in those times one thing or another she moved to London uh, at the age of 16 this guy was in his 40s so that was one reason but there was like that you nearly think you could kill him but there was so many other people that had happened as well there was maybe six others in the area that mm -hmm. same so that was one aspect to it then there was a rumour that he was going to uh, this, this doctor of history in Clonmel was telling me there was a rumour out 
which was documented in police reports, that he was going to kick them off the land. And I was kind of like, would that have been a big thing? He said, absolutely. They could have been there for generations. And if you were kicked off the land, you'd be into serious poverty back then and yeah. so on and so forth. So <clears throat> it was that in itself, they said, would have been a reason for murdering sure. him. Because if you murdered him, the land would have gone on someone else and the family could have stayed there. That He explained it all to me a bit better than I'm explaining it now. So it, it's most likely that, they, that once he was out of the way, Everyone would be fine. But that was only a rumor. But and then it, it, it there was um if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Uh, so anyway... He was found dead in a stream at the end of his house and he was shot three or four times in the face and he was bludgeoned about 17 times with a billhook. So it was fairly gruesome the way he was murdered. Wow. So there's, there's a couple the couple of things the doctor said. It's like that murders in those times were never uh, by one person and it was normally a couple of people killed him. Okay. It also looked like, I, I remember in New York years ago when I was gigging over, I knew this cop in New York who was photograph scenes and he said the worst scenes where a body be mutilated is normally crimes of passion. Hmm. Uh, someone, a jilted lover, that kind of stuff and they don't just shoot you, they they have it out for you and they'll, they'll do awful things. So this kind of looked like that as okay. well. Do you know what I mean? And then it turned out he was having an affair with the housekeeper, uh, Mrs. Smart. Sounds like Cluedo or something. And Mrs. Yeah. Bradshaw and himself never had kids and there was something around there. But then he, she was having an affair with the coach driver. And, was all that, that. and that's another interesting thing that the, histor the historian guy said is because this was uh, Victorian times and he said we always had this notion of Victorian times that it was you know the, that everything was kind of conservative prim and proper reserved yeah. prim mm. and proper and he said this case just throws it out because all all this <clears throat> all this comes from uh, police records RIC records from Dublin Castle that's where all the information comes so it's actual from uh, actual it's not hearsay it's all uh, investigative stuff and all the rest so it's proper documents so anyway that's long story my great grand uncle was 24 years of age time and he was the one that they were pinning it on and he gave himself into the police and what made it an interesting case around the world was, was one of the first cases of forensic science ever in the where they took his clothes and they tested the blood for blood stains and it was a doctor down in the University College of Cork was the guy who uh uh, came up with this science and the fact that this was a magistrate made it uh, of interest to the whole country but internationally it was in the papers in London and everywhere else and even in America it was because of this new science technology that came about yeah. and 
they he was in prison in Clonmel, and if they had found stains or something on his clothes, they went to his house, took all his clothes like they would nowadays, and they t- tested and everything else, and the clothes he was wearing, they found no trace of blood whatsoever, even with a gruesome murder like it was. So they couldn't pin it on him, and he he uh, he was released. So he didn't do it. Or we think. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so on the TV show, what didn't come out on the TV show, which was interesting, was the story locally is he moved to America straight after, which is true. But at that age, 24, trip to America, very expensive. How could he go? Mrs. Bradshaw paid his fare. All right, okay. So it looks like uh-huh. the whole, there was a whole uh-huh. menagerie of people involved. So anyway, I got a... This is an interesting bit. When the show was aired on TV, I got a phone call or text from my daughter's piano teacher uh, who's just come to our house to teach piano for maybe four or five years, taught the two girls piano. Right. And Mary, and she said, hi, Pat, this is Mary here. Do you know my name is Alice? Right. And of course, it's always Mary, you know. Yeah, of course. And my wife, I wouldn't be around all the time. I was like, no, I didn't know your name was Alice. And she said, I think we're related. And we have to go and... <laughs> the no. gun went missing. They never found the gun. The gun went missing. And where did it where did it come up? Where did they find it? Oh, they were relations over in yeah. Capamore. Yeah. So they, rec- they he went to them with the gun and they buried it. Oh, and God, that's amazing. He's he went to America and his grandsons came back in the sixties, nineteen sixty six. Right. And they said they always had a story that their grandfather had killed a landlord in Ireland back in seventeen something. And they says, yeah, we have to go. <laughs> so they dug it up in 1966. And because 66 was the anniversary of 1916 and all that, 50th anniversary, a um, couple of newspapers did uh, an article on it. And I think it was the Irish, they couldn't the Irish Independent or some papers at the time. And they have the article and the photograph of the two grandsons with the gun photograph that was in the papers that time. So you'll have to do an update. So he did do it. I think you are, won't you? I know. I and I, I feel terribly bad because Mary got in touch with me. And I meant, I meant to go out with my dad to their house and visit him and uh, and and pick up on the story because I was talking to a friend of mine in New York and he said to be easy trace. Uh, trace him through Ellis Island and all the rest and where he is today to family and grandsons and find out if they still have the gun wouldn't it be interesting yeah so um, very very easily done over there in America to trace where they are now. that would be brilliant to do that it would be interesting but what a fascinating show it, what a fa- it really is and you know I think for those who participate it's brave as well because it's um, it's one thing to trace your own family heritage in private but then yeah. to be doing it on such a public platform and it's a show that gets huge ratings yeah. people love to watch it I suppose we're nosy by nature well yeah and I remember when I was asked to do it I the producers I, I said look <clears throat> I rang my family everyone and said look I'm, I've been asked to do this has anybody got an objection because it's not just my family it's your family it's you know yeah. you guys have to, to go to work and, and meet people who will be calling you over and saying I saw the programme about your brother last night which is you as well so but interestingly all my family are into uh, into genealogy and all that kind of stuff and my mm. dad is a big fan of it um, my dad is such a big uh, into history and all that kind of stuff he kind of had a lot of work done on it already and we kind of thought we knew everything and I didn't think there was anything going to pop up and the producers told me, look, we, we, we've 16 we're only going to make 8 programmes because some of the celebrities were were, were inviting there may not be a story there it's just, just might not be interesting and it might be just ordinary um, and I just assumed that was going to be me there wasn't going to be a show and when they rang me and said uh, no there's an interesting story there of course they didn't tell me that was the whole nature of the show yeah of course it unfolds it unfolds as you go along and of course uh, th- that was the funny part I, at the end of it I, I'm, I'm to sit in the bar uh, with my dad and say look this is what we found out and of course I said this is what we found out about Brendan he says I could have told you that <laughs> I said, you did, he said, I told you that. I said, I never remember. <laughs> you never listened. <laughs> and he probably did give you snippets of he it. Probably but we, did. You know, we're not attuned to it because I know my dad's the same way. Yeah. He is like, he'll introduce me to him. Sure, this is your sixth oh, cousin, know, 25 yeah. times removed. And I go, Dad, I don't have a glimmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he'll know everyone and the connections and yeah. down to find it's, you know, and I suppose it's it's men of a certain generation as well. Um, you When I've, I've heard you speak about your dad an awful yeah. lot, and obviously he featured in the show as well. Christy, what age is he now? Late 80s? He's, yeah, he, gosh, good question. He's 88, I think. Yeah. 88, 89. He's still flying it. He's in great form, yeah. Yeah. Still playing music and and going out to the pub on a Wednesday night. That's the night in in, uh, the Monks and Turles where there's traditional music and he started the session, I think, God, 30, 40 years ago, you know, so he's, he's still playing there. 
Are you like your dad? Am I like him? Yeah. I probably am. Uh, you know... <laughs> I suppose if, if you were to ask me that 20 years ago, I'd say, no, absolutely not. Oh, God, no. But the older you get, I think, yeah, you probably realize, yeah, there's, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's, there's similarities between the two of us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, he had a tough job, and I know it's being asked of you a lot, so I'm mindful that I'm sure at times you're comfortable talking about it and at times you're not, but yeah. you were really young when your mum passed away from yeah. cervical cancer. You were only yeah. seven. Yes. And he, and he yeah. had a big job to do because there was 11 years. 11, 11 was in it, yeah, yeah, yeah. The eldest was 16, I think, and the youngest was four. So it mm. was, uh, we, were, we were all quite close. Um, but yeah, he did have a tough job. And I don't, to be honest with you, I have no idea how he did how it. He did it. Um, yeah. Uh, because uh, now that I have my own children, and you, like we've, I was having Karen have three kids, and uh, you kind of go, three, God, 11. And, but I know there are different times, and, and uh, the back door was opened and out you went. That kind of carry on. We could all talk about it forever. But, uh, but it's still, nonetheless, there was a lot of. Um, you know, everyone in the house went to college. Everyone, went to, he was just a school teacher. You know, so I don't know how he managed all that kind of stuff and that carry on. Strong man, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. What are your memories of your own mother? Very few, to be brutally honest. Um, very, very few, because she would have been ill for a year or two. You know, and, uh, in the end, and uh, I, you know, yourself. I think of that generation. Kids were kind of kept outside. The, you know, the loop of what was going on. So um, you didn't really, you weren't aware of anything going on. And I was also too young to be aware, to be interested in anything that was going on, you know. Um, So that's, I I don't have many, many memories of her at all. And there was so many of us, uh, especially the younger ones below me, they they would have taken up her undivided attention, I'm sure, sure, when I was uh, at a certain age. So, uh, and not just me, but I know talking to my older brother, some of my older brothers, uh, would be a few years older than me. They have very little memory e- equally. So it's not just, you know, and the younger lads obviously uh, less yeah. again. Just the way it goes, you know. If you could go back in time and, and if, you know, a conversation could have been had with you in advance, do you think you would have been able to take it in as a concept? My mother's going to pass away. No, none whatsoever. Not no, at that age. I was age. too young, yeah. Yeah. Like I remember the day she died and uh, being told she was dead and, I was more concerned about getting some Smarties I was promised. Uh-huh. And then uh, one of my older brothers was very upset at the back and I was very confused as to what he was upset about. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And he was, I got a bit frightened because he was, he was getting very emotional. Um, it was hitting him fairly hard and I got more frightened at his reaction than an understanding of what was going on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I do have that memory uh, in my mind of the day itself. And then, you know, you don't have much more memories than that other than playing with the lads and, and uh, loads of people coming to the house and going out a door and being told to go back in another door and that kind of stuff. And, do you know... It, was it a surreal time then? It was It was odd. It was odd, but it was it was confusing more than than uh, upsetting, is what I would say. Yeah. I think it might have hit me years later when I was in my teenage years that I got upset about it. Um, when you start seen relationship with maybe friends and their mothers and that kind of stuff and you mm. re- then begin to realise <clears throat> that you don't have a relationship of that type you know what I mean um, what maybe you then what maybe could have happened what maybe could be the situation but you'd never know but I don't I was too young to get upset about it yeah yeah I yeah. think so yeah you, you know and as a family did it, did you feel like it, it pulled you even closer I suppose at that age you, you... If you don't have that awareness, you were, as you said yourself, yeah. you were so well, young. It did pull us closer together because we kind of brought each other up and stuff like that. And yeah. then the, the nature of having that many people in, in the house. So there was we all had chores like you had to cook baked bread on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. You were cooking, you were washing up, you were cleaning the house. You know, um, things that maybe some of your, your mates wouldn't do. They'd drop and run out the door with a ball, but you had to do these things because there was no... Uh, mother in the house to kind of manage so you, you, you sh- it was shared um, kind of um, responsibility which you just took for granted and, and you just took it as the norm you yeah. know um, so yeah that that's that you just, uh, as a result we were all very close then because we'd all do jobs together and things like that do you know what I mean yeah. uh, and, and do stuff together aside from playing as yeah. well you know yeah you spoke about it at the beginning of the chat that you know music was a big thing your mum played piano your yes. dad played saxophone music you all played music but yeah. you didn't play it together no that's strange I often <laughs> that's a strange myself my brother Edward uh, he plays banjo and we often played together we made an effort to play a few tunes together alright um, but 
um, we didn't and the sisters my, oh my the sisters were all great fiddle players and viola players and all that they played with a local orchestra and stuff like that but we never ever played tunes together which is yeah. really odd and now yeah. yourself and Caroline have three kids yeah. and uh, how, what age what ages are we talking again uh, 21 19 and 16 okay yeah. so your son is the 16 year old who's old actually in the room here the right now <laughs> and I believe he's dab hand of the drums he's a great drummer yeah really yeah. really good drummer he's been working at it for a couple of years and uh, yeah he's solid solid drummer he's good he's, he, I won't turn around <laughs> no 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 he's keeping the head he's down he's keeping the, the head down, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and come here so are you changing then that, that, that what you grew up in even though you know music was a huge part of life for you you weren't the family who, who played together do you have sessions at home now yourselves um, we have had but not not a huge amount um, we don't really play together either strangely <laughs> enough <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, you know. I mean, I don't. I mean, of course, look, there isn't. If it's if it's go, if it's to be and if it's natural, we will. Yeah, Myself yeah, and yeah. Louis play a lot together. Um, we've played a lot of blues together with a band, yeah. and stuff like that, and that's good fun. Um, but it's easier because we kind of similar. Um, we play similar tunes and stuff like that. It's easier. But my daughter Lily's a great piano player. Uh, but she would never sit in and play with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. I didn't do it with my dad either, so I didn't see any. Yeah, cool. You know, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, I know your your wife Caroline is is very private, and uh, yeah. she's not a big fan of of going up to events with no. you and being photographed. I have seen a gorgeous photo of you guys together. I think it was years ago taken at the IFTAs. Though. Yeah. Um, but she's she's a huge support to you. Oh God, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Caroline, now that the kids got older and everything, she's now opened up a shop in Limerick, which is great. Um, she's into. Uh, vintage clothes and fashion and that and that's that's what she she did she was a fashion designer so she worked oh, at that for years give us the name I so, need to check it yeah, out yeah no it's, it's it's online Vito Vintage uh, uh, in Limerick in the okay. milk market in Limerick and it's stunning stuff I mean she goes she's off to Amsterdam this weekend buying at a, a vintage place she she handpicks everything and oh, brings wonderful. it back so it's a stunning place and it's great so she's kind of found her niche now and, um, but she she used to never really travel uh, with me to events she doesn't like that kind of side of things and she preferred to be just plowing away at her own thing but so this is keeping her extremely busy <laughs> yeah 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 and is is it hard to find the balance between all that you have going on between because like I was just saying to you before we start chatting here mm. you were on the telly last night Pat yeah. Short's music from the telly yeah, yeah, yeah. was on TV last night um, so between your telly work and your stage shows and your comedy and your acting and your movies and your family life and being a dad and being a well, husband <clears throat> It's funny you do like I like Dark Lies the Island was out recently, and that film I did nearly two years ago. Mm. So it takes and goes into the edit process and everything. And then they'll pick what festivals they want the film to go out. So you could like I could have three movies coming out around the same time, and uh, which actually happened recently. Did another film I did nearly four years ago. They took an extra length of time to put it out, and that came out just before Dark Lies the Island was the belly of the whale. And and then you have TV shows happening around the same. So it seems like you're mad busy, but there's a spread between the whole lot. Next year is going to be mad busy because there's a few projects all lumped in in the one year, and they're all big big projects. Um, but normally you'd be end up doing a movie a year uh, if if you're lucky, uh, working on something like that. Um, I'm, I'm working with Amy Huberman now soon in the next two weeks or so we're in that TV show she does. I'm Finding Joy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah great. I'm I love that, that series. I'm a huge fan of hers anyway. That's she's great. She's fantastic and John Butler's directing and I'm a huge fan of his as well. So I'm uber excited about working on that for a few days I can't wait to see what character you'll play in that ah, it's, 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 it's funny yeah good <laughs> it is good. it's great it's good stuff so you, you know so you do a few days here and a few days there and some of the bigger projects take up more time but you, it, it it pans out you know I, I do like, like we were talking about with Gay Burn earlier on you know don't take everything I for example Christmas time I'll always take a couple of weeks off and during the summer I'll always take a couple of weeks off and after that it's like I always say if I was a truck driver I'd be I'd be gone for mm. months and months of time you know so I'm actually yeah, yeah. around quite a bit yeah know? what do you like to do in your downtime what's the um, dream scenario I, I, I go fishing and camping and that kind of thing uh, I like to do that with Steph and Louis get off and head off somewhere with my other, I have a few other brothers and we'd all uh, we tend to go do a bit of extreme camping as well we tend to go in the winter time and stuff like that <laughs> okay so you make it it's as uncomfortable as reason. possible yeah that's the idea it may <laughs> test ourselves Bear we, grills. we just find it hilarious that you know we all end up um, frozen somewhere <laughs> <laughs> so do you light a fire we do a couple of them yeah <laughs> I've been known to wake up in a field <laughs> with the rain in me. <laughs> 
And is there a bit of a sing song or do you bring the oh, instruments? No, we, we just talk rubbish uh, till all hours. But, uh, and we do during the summertime where we take a couple of weekends away. And uh, myself and Louis, we, we do up a van and we've driven down to Spain and Italy and, and, oh, and Portugal all over the place in the summertime as well. Yeah. So that's kind of fun and we'd have a few friends come with us as well. So Great. So that, yeah, kind of gearing up for those trips. I drive motorbikes as well. I, I drive... Uh, Couple, of, I kind of been drive a couple of motorbikes, and I nearly every year do a big trip with a few friends of mine. We go across Europe as well. So yeah. you try and you know eke out a bit of time for those kind of trips and stuff like well, that. Well, talking is so important as well. I suppose when you kind of switch away, switch off from technology and and all the distractions alike, yeah. and you're sitting around having the crack. Well, it's good. Yeah, I mean, I like I always say, I, st- I stay in hotels four nights a week at least. You know, every week. So when I go on a holiday, I like to sleep in the field. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Do you know, I mean, going to a hotel is no novelty to me whatsoever. Whereas I prefer to put up a tent and, and a sleeping bag and uh, and have a bit of fun like that, you know, because it's just the opposite to what I do every week. Yeah. And is it because Caroline you grew... doesn't come with me. No, does she not? Has she ever done a camping trip? No, she doesn't. No. <laughs> I read somewhere that you're, you kind of, you like to, not that you're not comfortable with it, but you're not a big, big crier. You're not mm. a man who's very comfortable not not even the word comfortable but it's not something that you do showing your emotions in that way is not something yeah, you do I think it kind of like you know yourself I've done radio shows and and uh, TV shows with presenters sure that like to get people to cry they do yeah <laughs> and you know we we know who we're talking about it probably but <laughs> I <laughs> don't you even think about it no but I have done it and I remember like Jesus like the questions I remember I remember one time doing, I was going on to talk about uh, uh, a traditional music festival that I was doing and on, on a particular TV show and the presenter out of the blue to says, see your mother died when you were seven, tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, here, Jesus. And I know this presenter, <laughs> like I've, I was warned that like that all that presenter ever wants you to do is cry. Because <laughs> everyone cries on the bloody show. Yeah. And I, I just, I, and maybe it's the comedian in me or the, the cynical outlook on life. I just broke me all laughing out. This is ridiculous. Ridiculous. I you get you, I mean? yeah. And uh, I just don't. And look, I I don't know what it is. I I just I I'm I'm probably not that type of person. Well, that's know. contrived, I think. You know what I mean? Are, are, well, try, are certainly, certainly trying to yeah. make somebody get yeah. upset about something. Or you know, like I've asked you questions about yeah. your past and, yeah. and upsetting stuff, but. My intention is not to make you cry. Like, do I know. you know what I mean? I, I, I'm just, in, I'm interested in learning I know, I know, about I know, I know, I know, how you dealt with it yeah, and all yeah, the rest. Of course. But it is interesting, isn't it? I think, uh, you know, I think as uh, as viewers or as listeners, there is that kind of sense of voyeurism where yeah. we love seeing or hearing people out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And that's grand to a point. But if it's not helping the person yeah. that's actually talking about it, well, is it any good? I don't know if it is. Yeah, no, I don't. Do, and, and funny enough, I don't. I, it nearly happened me on that program. Who do you think you are? Yeah, I was handed a letter that I read, and it was a dreadfully sad story. A grand, my great grandfather, uh, he, oh, he never met any of his siblings because he was only a baby, and they all moved off to America. And when he got, became an older man, he tried to reach out to his sister in America who looked after him. She was 16 when she left, I think. He yeah. was only a baby and she was, he was her pet and so on and so forth. So he sent a letter via someone uh, to America to his his uh, sister. And the person, for whatever reason, and it's not, you know, I'm not issuing blame or anything like that, but didn't pass the letter on for two years. And when they passed it on, she just died by a few months. Oh, yeah. I never saw the photograph. And, everything. and the letter I was given was the letter back from her daughter, who mm. was crying, writing the letter, saying that, oh, my God, if she'd only seen this. And they may have, you know, I don't know if they'd have ever met. But she was, She always talked about him as the baby when she left, and she missed him so much. And oh, that's it, tough, it yeah. Was, oh, God, I was reading this letter handwritten from her, which I'd never seen before. And I got a bit choky and I stopped for a minute. And I, I was, jeez, I was nearly welled up. And the director said, keep going, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever chance... Love a good cry. Whatever chance they had of getting me to cry, that shattered it. <laughs> yeah, of course it is, yeah. But it was, oh, oh God, it was, I found this just, the thoughts of it, the whole thing was just terrific, you yeah. know. And that was emigration so terribly sad. back in that time where you just never saw your family ever again.
Yeah. Terribly, terribly sad. Terribly sad. Yeah. And I think reflective of, 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 um, of so many families in Ireland, you know. Oh, we, God, we, yeah, yeah. We go yeah. back, you know. Yeah. yeah. Of that era. Yeah, it's terribly sad. Bringing up right up to where we are now and thinking of your career and what you've done and, mm. and the types of characters you've played and the types of characters yourself and John, um, I suppose, celebrated in Dumbelievables. Yeah. Do you think the Ireland we live in today is vastly different? No, not at all. Okay. I think those people are out there and the characters are out there. And, yeah. Um, and and that interest in that type of comedy and humour, you see the young comedians coming up now doing similar type of like, you know, in a sense like the two Johnnies in Tipperary and there's other, yeah, yeah. There's other uh, comedians around that, that look at rural Ireland. You know, and and do their comedy around that, which is what we did as well. And it's brilliant. It's great, and it's fresh, and it's new, and it's it's great. And and during because characters are always going to be there, I suppose. Aren't well, they? this is it. During Gary, and you know, there's loads of great yeah. comedians out there doing stuff. And it's interesting to see uh, 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 like characters being done as well. I mean, for so long people were doing stand up and stuff. And Seth and John were probably one of the few people doing characters. There was loads of people who did it before us. We weren't the first by any means. You had Darren Morgan and various other. But then there was a whole wave of stand-up which is great and great stuff and now there seems to be a kind of a swing back to characters again you know which is funny it's, and maybe it's the YouTube and that generation and and uh, it's kind of easier to, to do stuff like that uh, to, to create it you know what I mean Yeah. Uh, not necessarily easier to write it but to create it and to be able to do it and have an outlet for it and I think that's fantastic you know so um yeah, and and it's great. It's great, you know. So yeah, are those characters out there? Of course they are. You go to a Harlem match, you go to a GA match, you go to the soccer match tonight, and you mm. know, and uh, the Viva or anywhere like, and you'll meet characters like that all over the country. Yeah. What was your favorite one to play when you're in the Dumbleables? I don't know. I like it, it. Kind of varied from uh, Morris Hickey. Uh, character who was the politician, you know, who I didn't know anything about politics and it wasn't about politics. It was about the character and the power struggle and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. he, he was a simple character. And I, the interesting thing when you play a character like him, he forces you to slow down. You know, sometimes you, you're giddy energy in as a performer, you get out and you race with your But the nature of that character was he was just an old schlob that kind of mm. wandered around aimlessly and had his own opinion on everything. But he kind of forced me to slow down the patter and look for that, which was very, very funny as well. So oh, yeah. different characters dictate different things. The school teacher character, I loved him uh, doing him. You just, when you walked out, people like identified with him. Yeah, of course, away, straight know? away. Straight, I'm sure I'm, the memories are flooding back here. Yeah. And I, I, I can't do accents or I can't do mimicry, so I won't because I just yeah. bring shame upon myself <laughs> and my family. No, we prefer if you don't. I'll leave, well. exactly, <laughs> correct. I'll leave that to you. But what's important to you now in your life? Um, God, uh, I suppose... Family, I suppose, the older you get. And, and it's not even like, it's like the kids go through different stages. You know, they're out of being babies and they're teenagers now. Look at Faye working and, and in, in the workroom, Lily's, Lily Rose is working as well. And uh, they're, they're, they're all mature, you know what I mean? So I'm enjoying their company in a different light. Um, so it's great. That's really enjoyable. And it's just you're moving on to another kind of stage. And it it's I'm just interested in what they're doing, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah that from that point of view... Um, not from a point of view that I have to protect them or do anything like that. It's more I'm observing them and watching them and enjoying it. And mm. it's, it's it's moved on to another level. You know, it's it's fun. Talking to you when you listen to um, all the work you did and when you talk about how young you were starting out yeah. and, and working with John and the years of success you had with Unbelievables and since, you're still a young man. Like you're still... Yeah. Am I yeah. right in thinking 51? Yeah, 52 at the 52. moment. Yeah, yeah. So 52 no, right now. <laughs> I might go backwards. <laughs> but okay, but like, you know what I mean? You're a young man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you've yeah. done an awful lot. Um, is is this a good phase in your life? Yeah, I, I'm getting, I like, it, work is becoming interesting. It's become challenging as well because you, you've got to kind of keep yourself relevant. And that, that's always the case when you're in the business of entertainment world. You have to keep yourself relevant anyway. But but it is interesting and uh, it's it's fun. Um yeah, I I think it's it's 
you, you hit a certain age where you, yeah, it, things are changing slightly. As, as I say, you, you start seeing your kids come along, they start talking about different stuff and you're trying to pick up on what they're on about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so the world of entertainment is, is changing all the time. And I just, I mean, I suppose I'm more confident now that I'm in my 50s um, that I don't give a crap too much about things that gives you an extra boost of confidence to go on and tackle stuff and have fun with it, you know. Yeah, we didn't even touch on Father Ted, our Killing a Scully, yeah. our a ton of movies you've done, our, you know what I mean, there's so much to talk about, but look, I know time is precious and I really appreciate it. Hay is going, you're around the country, we're, I think at the moment. Yeah, we're in the Olympia in Dublin in January and it's going to be all over the place and uh, all over the country. We're currently touring at the moment yeah. and into the new year, so it'll be all over. Yeah. And then movies, can't wait. Pat, thanks a million. Great to talk to you, Sheila. Thank you very much. For more on Pat and to see him live, go to patshort.com. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please do pass it on to your friends, your family. And I know it's a little bit boring, but if you could take a minute to rate, review and hit subscribe, I would really appreciate it. If there's anyone you'd like me to have a chat with, please do get in touch. You'll find me on Twitter or Instagram at Sheila Show again. Thank you so much for listening. 